Today on Daily in Christ, Faith, Ground Zero. And I welcome you once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. We are in the midst of two series simultaneously, the larger Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant series. And we are in part 36 of that particular series. Meantime, there's a mini-series focused around Hebrews chapter 11 called The Just Shall Live by Faith, and we are in part six of that sub-series. Well, today is a very important lesson, and so I want you to really focus in and pay very close attention to what we're presenting today. You know, a lot of Christians struggle in the practice of their Christian life, making their Christian life work. And even the way I just said that is faulty, making their Christian life work. Well, by now, it's clear that our Christian life is actually Christ himself alive inside of us. And someone may say, well, Mark, I know that, but why isn't it working out for me? The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. This is the title of this mini-series, The Just Shall Live by Faith. And that's why we're spending time right here on this subject. At the beginning of this mini-series, the first episode was called The Just Shall Live by Faith and The Necessity of the Just Shall Live by Faith. If you didn't have a chance to hear that particular podcast, I want to encourage you to listen to it because it lays a very important foundation for what we're talking about. Speaking of foundations, the foundation of our faith is not a doctrine. It's not a denomination. It's not a creed. It's not even the Bible. The foundation of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the object of our faith. The faith is grounded upon the word of God, the Bible. It's informed by the scripture, but the object of our faith is another person altogether, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's at that point that most Christians fail. Most Christians struggle. They think that the Christian life is fundamentally about them, becoming more righteous, doing better, being more holy, when in fact, the Christian life is Christ himself. Simple faith in Christ. And as we're taking up this subject of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it has the critical larger context of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the new covenant. Everything that's been brought here to four in the book of Hebrews chapters one through 10 has been all about him. The perfection of Jesus as the perfect son, perfect high priest, perfect life, perfect suffering, and his perfect finished work. And upon that whole basis is the proper context of Hebrews chapter 11 and the subject of faith and the just shall live by faith. Today's podcast and the topic material about faith ground zero is likely to go into another uh, lesson. So we want to take some time right now as we, as we approach this important subject to look to the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and understanding 
Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come and we thank you once again, Lord, for your heart of love, your heart of goodness, your heart of holiness and righteousness. And Father, you never intended for us to do the Christian life as a do, but rather the Christian life, Father, is indeed your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, above all, we pray that you will bring a deeper revelation and clarity and understanding of him and how Christ is our life. And Father, as we look carefully in the scripture on the subject of faith, more than just a subject, it is the Christian life itself. The the just shall live by faith. Father, I pray that you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, I thank you the eyes of our heart are enlightened because the spirit is within us. And as we move forward in this study of your word, Lord, we do so with no reliance upon our own human understanding and intelligence, but upon relying upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 11, and we're only going to be in two verses in Hebrews, and then we're going to go to the book of Romans for a very critical view of faith and the type of faith that Sarah and Abraham had that was counted as righteousness. So open your Bible once again to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're in verse 11, which reads, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. I want you to take a moment and ponder the result of the kind of faith that pleases the Lord. Look at what happened in the case of of Abraham and Sarah. First of all, Abraham, at the time that uh, Isaac, his son of promise, was born, was a hundred years old, and Sarah was 91. These two were well past childbearing years. And remember, Sarah had always been barren. It was something so difficult, but God made a promise to Abraham, not only for a son, but for a multitude of heirs, a multitude of a family going on and on, as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sands on the seashore. So let's examine this. When God steps in, what amazing difference that makes. You know, God's agenda is so far beyond our agenda. Remember, Abraham was childless, and and he realized that a servant in his house was standing to be heir of all. And so he asked the Lord for a son. But God's agenda wasn't just a son. God's agenda is that Abraham would be the father of nations. That's what it says there in Genesis chapter 17. 
And one of those sons, one of those descendants of Abraham would be the son of God and the son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we step into God's agenda. And many times God meets us in our area of need. When we turn to him, when we look to him and we say, Lord, I can't. God says, but I can. And as we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, it says in verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength. Now the Greek word for strength is dunamis, which is probably better translated ability. Sarah received herself supernatural ability from God to do something that she was unable to do for many decades. She was enabled by God to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age. How did that happen? What was the dynamic of Sarah's faith? Well, the last part of verse 11 says, because she judged him, speaking of God, faithful who had promised. Hold on to that thought. She judged God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, speaking of Abraham, and him as good as dead, remember he was 100 years old, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Okay, let's get the spiritual electron microscope out and let's closely examine this faith that Sarah and Abraham had in trusting the Lord. And we're going to be spending some time in Romans chapter 4, in fact, the entire chapter, which really gets in to what happened in the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah. I call this faith ground zero. And for our international uh, listeners, ground zero refers to the place of the immediate location of where something happens in um nuclear weaponry it refers to the place where the nuclear bomb actually hits it's the it's the area that's closest and and what we mean by ground zero is we're getting right in not in the destructive aspect but we're getting into the place as close as the subject material as we can possibly get and so we need to go to Romans chapter we're going to begin in Romans chapter 3 because it sets up something that's so important One of the greatest barriers to successful living by faith is when we look at ourselves and we think, there is no way that God is going to bless me. There is no way that God is going to do good to me. There is no way, even though God has made a promise, I have failed him. It's our our thinking that our failure is somehow bigger than, than our God. But I want you to understand something. Failure in the human race is universal. That's what the book of Romans teaches. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it speaks about the in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then you go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and this is extremely striking where it says that the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed. So something else is revealed, the wrath of God. Why? From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The situation of the human race is dire. It's so bad that you can't reform the human race. God's remedy is far more radical, and that is new life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it goes on and on and on and on about the failure of the human race till we hit Romans chapter 3, verse 10, which says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. You know, we can tend to think that we are the particular unique case of sinfulness, of failure, of wickedness. But the Bible says there are no unique cases. There are no worse sinners. All have failed. See where it says none righteous? You know what? The prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah said, even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags compared to the pure, infinite holiness and righteousness of God. There is none righteous when it's brought against the blazing glory of the perfect righteousness of God. None are righteous. All of us, even in our best efforts, have sin and selfish motives that are subtly intertwined. None righteous. None understands. None who seek after God, even in our best moments, so we think. We fall so far short, they have all turned aside. There is none who does good. No, not one. And I want to um, take it to verse 19. It says in Romans chapter 3, Now we know that whatever the law says, It says to those who are under the law, listen to this, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. In the final analysis, every single human being who has ever existed, mouths are shut and there's only one judgment, guilty, guilty. And if you are struggling with your own guilt, you are struggling with your own failure, you are struggling thinking, my case is particularly bad, that is in contradiction to the truth of the Word of God. The Bible says, and I just read it to you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what it says down there in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, if we ended it there, It would be awful. (laughs) Oh. 
But look at verse 21 of Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law. Now remember what the law is. The law at its core is do and live. You live by your doing, which actually is fallen sinfulness. We don't live by our doing. We live because God has given us life. We live by the life of God. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, your do and fail, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Listen to this very carefully. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. That's why we're here right now in this discussion of faith. Why we are in Romans chapter 3, kind of branching off from Hebrews chapter 11, because really the subject of faith is dug down to the roots, not in Hebrews chapter 11, but right here in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. Do you see this? Look at this carefully in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. The righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I've been saying all along. It isn't so much faith in a doctrine or faith in a denomination or even faith in the scripture. It's faith that's informed by the scripture in another person altogether, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the gracious tidings of the gospel to all and on all who believe. Now take that in contrast to what we just read earlier in the book of Romans chapter 3 around verse 10 where it says there's none righteous, no exceptions there. There's none who seek after God. There is none who understand. They have all turned aside. And here The gracious tidings of the gospel says the righteousness of God apart from you and your failure and your doing is revealed. It is the righteousness of faith, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. To all. Is there anyone left out in the word all? No, not even little old you or little old me. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Watch this, verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to just stop right there. We are justified freely by God's grace. The biblical doctrine of justification is absolutely critical. What is justification? Justification means that I am given the same standing before God the Father that Jesus Christ himself has. Some people have said that justification is, it's just as if I never sinned. That is lame. Throw out that definition, please. It falls horribly far short of the incredibly wonderful justification that the Bible speaks of. To be justified 
is to have the same standing before God the Father that Jesus Christ has. Let me ask you this question. How are things between you and God? Quick, respond. Some have said, oh, oh, not real good. I wish it was better. And, and you see what we're doing when we say something like that, and we're a Christian, we're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're in Christ by the grace of God. What we're saying when we say that is we think that God is relating to us on the basis of us, on the basis of our righteousness, our holiness, our goodness, our good behavior. That is wrong. That's law thinking. And earlier here in Romans chapter 3, it was quite clear that it said that, verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So if you are thinking about your performance, pass or fail, you're living by law. And there's no justification by law. As a matter of fact, in Corinthians, it says that the law is the ministry of death and condemnation. So when we talk about your standing before God, how are things between you and God? Christian, they are spectacular. Let me ask you this. How are things between Jesus and God the Father? You say, well, Mark, fantastic. You know, Jesus always obeys the Father. Jesus always does the Father's bidding. Uh, The relationship between Jesus and his Father is spectacular. Well, justification means you have been given the same standing before God the Father that the Lord Jesus Christ has. That's what justification is. It's critical to understand that. Well, you say, well, Mark, that seems too good to be true. Well, guess what? It is that good because it is true. Or may I say, it is true because it is that good. I mean, what have we been studying all through the book of Hebrews? on and on, over and over and over again. It talks about the full sufficiency of the perfection of Jesus Christ and the perfection of his finished work. Why did God the Father give the Son? To perfectly accomplish all. Why? To bring us in to all, to bring us out of cursing into blessing to bring us into the glorious promises of God. And that has happened because of the righteousness of another. Verse 24 again, being justified freely. How much does it cost you? Do you have to pray enough? No. Do you have to read your Bible enough? No. Do you have to witness enough? No. Do you have to go to church enough? No. Do you have to be a good neighbor enough? No. Do you have to feed the poor enough? No. Do you have to get up out of bed enough? No. Do you have to get up real extra early in the morning enough? No. You are justified freely. It costs you nothing, but that doesn't mean it's cheap. It costs God the Father everything. Being justified freely, it's a gift by His grace. What is grace? Grace is God totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you're so good, 
but because he is that good. You see, it continues to tell us how this can be. How could we possibly be given the same standing before God the Father that Jesus Christ has? It says that, and and how can we get this freely? It says, by God's grace through. Here is how God's grace accomplished it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, in the space of just a few verses, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be brought out about how our justification came about. And this hooks in so beautifully with everything that we've been studying in Hebrews so far in chapter 1 through chapter 10. If you've been with us in this journey through the book of Hebrews, these very quick mentions that we find in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 24, um, they're just such a quick summary of what is brought out in great depth in the book of Hebrews. So follow along. We are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What's redemption? Redemption refers to a purchase. And there's two aspects of this purchase. It's the purchase of something to take it out of something. And oftentimes, this aspect of redemption is referred to as a ransom. You know, when someone is kidnapped and those kidnappers are demanding a ransom, they're demanding payment in exchange for which they will release the kidnapped victim. And there is an aspect through what the Lord Jesus Christ did that purchases and brings about our freedom, our ransom. We are rescued from the dominion of Satan and sin and self and the world and darkness. And here's the other part of redemption. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ himself and made God's cherished ones, cherished possession And so redemption brings along with it all of the blessing and all of the rights and privileges that belong in the household of God, in the family of God, as a child of God, as a son of God. And remember, a son biblically isn't referring to gender. It is referring to the rightful heir. I could go on about redemption (laughs) We could go on for many, many lessons in a series, but I must move on. This redemption, this purchase from, ransom from all that was wrong and bad and brought in as God's own people. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Amen. You know what that means? Oh, that means that God has pledged to take care of us. We belong to him. Mm. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, this redemption is not found in a Bible study. This redemption is not found in a church. This redemption is not found in a doctrine or a denomination. This redemption is not found in a DVD series. This redemption is found in a person the Lord Jesus Christ, whom 
God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. What is propitiation meaning? Your translation might say atonement. Actually, propitiation is a better translation of the word. Propitiation means a payment to satisfy wrath. Remember what we visited very briefly at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says that the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God's wrath is evoked because such a travesty of justice has occurred in his created order. When, and it began with Lucifer, the, the, the great archangel who led the worship of heaven, for goodness sake, who thought, well, I'll make myself like the Most High in that catastrophic fall of an angel. And it says in the Revelation that he brought one third of the angelic host with him. That's the demons and the other uh, principalities and powers of darkness all the way to the catastrophic fall of the human race, Adam and Eve had everything. But they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that God said, don't eat, which is a tree of law, actually. It's a tree of, if you eat of it, self-righteousness. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not evil or bad. God planted it there, but God intended them not to live by their doing, and making themselves like the Most High, God intended them to live by God's life. And so we see that the situation of the human race is just so bad. And, and, the, and, and all that is wrong in the world that's ever occurred, every innocent child that has been kidnapped and murdered, and I'm sorry if I have to be a little bit graphic about this, every person who has been beheaded by terrorists who have supposedly been acting in the name of God, every dictator who has allowed his people to die in squalor and starvation and disease, every wrong that's happened, even the wrong that you've done, has been the result of this catastrophic fall of man through sin. And there will come a time when God will execute judgment. His justice will be meted out and the wrong will be forever made right. There are two things that we will face. We will either face the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior now or we will face him as Lord and judge at the judgment. But the one who is the judge is the one who is our Redeemer. Consider, please, what it says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 33. Actually, let's back up into verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, Actually, let me back up to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? And again, Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Watch this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. There's that word, justify, justification. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. The very one who has the rightful place to be the judge was the one who with his life and his blood sacrificed himself as the perfect lamb of of God. His blood was shed. Why? To satisfy the claim of justice, to satisfy the wrong, to satisfy wrath fully. Otherwise, if God were to forgive without the propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ, God would be the biggest lawbreaker in the universe. Justice had to be served. Justice had to be meted out. Someone had to take the punishment. Someone had to pay the price. And the very one who did it is the one who's the rightful judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has satisfied the wrath of God. May I ask you, Christian, a question? Or may may I say something that's very important? Here it is. God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. I want to take you over to Isaiah chapter 54 and... um, We're going to pick it up in um, verse 7. It says, The Lord is speaking and says, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. That's in Isaiah 54. What does Isaiah 54 follow? Isaiah 53. And what's over in Isaiah 53? That's the prophecy of the suffering Messiah. Powerful, powerful words. Isaiah 53, verse 4 says, Surely, speaking of Jesus, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see it? This is propitiation. This is Jesus Christ taking upon himself my punishment for my wrong and my sin and my rebellion. And he's taken it for you as well. If you are not saved, if you're not born again, if you've not received Jesus, please understand 
He did it all. Salvation is just saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You did this for me and I receive it by faith. Listen to me. God is not angry with you, nor will he ever be. Well, we saw dramatically in Isaiah 54, the Lord said, I'm swearing an oath. God does not break his oath. He doesn't need to swear an oath. His word is always true. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Deuteronomy 23, 19. But God swears an oath. That's how serious he is. I will not be angry with you anymore. Why? Because Jesus, with his life and his righteousness and his blood as the perfect man, did it all. And that satisfies justice. And that permits a loving, willing, heavenly father to say, that's been my plan from the very beginning that I would remove all of the obstacles righteously, justly, and I would bring you in. This is what our justification is based upon. This is where your good standing, never, ever, ever, Christians say, things are not good between you and God. That is a lie. That is not true. Because your right standing with God is not based on your righteousness. It's based on the infinite righteousness of another, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see back to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God set forth, Jesus was set forth as a propitiation, a payment to satisfy wrath by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, speaking of the prior time, the time under the covenant of law, the old covenant, before Jesus came, in that time he passed over sins that were previously committed. Now, in the new economy of the new covenant, this side of Calvary, this side of the perfect life of Jesus Christ, his perfect death and suffering and sacrifice and resurrection, This side of it, our sins have been completely removed. Remission as far as the east is from the west. God is not covering over our sins anymore as he did under the old covenant economy. He is removing our sins altogether. Wow. Clean. Clean at last and forever clean. And it says that Watch this. This is amazing. In verse 25, let me again go back to the top of it so we get this whole thought together. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, watch, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. God is doing this not to demonstrate how righteous you are, but it's a demonstration of the righteousness of God. And let me ask you this, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is both just 
and justifier. Jesus himself is just because as the perfect son of God and the perfect son of man, he never, ever, ever disobeyed the father. He always obeys the father willingly from a willing heart inside and out. Jesus is the real McCoy. And because of that, he before the father is just. He has a fantastic standing before the father. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the uh, river, Jordan? The spirit came upon him as a dove and the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, guess what? Jesus is not just only just, and that's significant for him. But it isn't, it doesn't do too much for me. Ah, but it says that Jesus is both just and the justifier. A justifier is one who makes another just by virtue of his place of being just. Let me say that again. A justifier is one who makes another just because he is just. And so because of the fantastic standing that Jesus has with the Father, you have it because you have been made righteous. You have been made just. He is the justifier. That's what justification is all about. Justification is the act of a just one making another as just. To demonstrate, verse 26 again, Romans 3.26, at the present time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. People say, what's my part? Faith. And faith is simple. Faith is simple reliance upon another, not yourself. What is the exact opposite of faith? Your works, your doing. It contradicts faith. No, your faith rests on the doing and the righteousness and the righteous works of another. We're going to continue next time on the subject of faith ground zero, but we've laid the critical foundation and it dovetails beautifully in what we've learned in Hebrews chapter one, all the way through Hebrews chapter 10. It's the message of all of Hebrews. And really it's the message of all the Bible. Jesus is the one. He did it all. At the cross, he said, it is finished. And faith simply says, thank you. Thank you. I receive this gift. When someone gives you a gift, did you pay anything for it? No. A gift given properly is given from a heart of love to another. If you were, if someone were to give you a gift and you were to reach into your wallet or your purse and say, okay, how much did that cost? I want to pay you. That would be an insult. They paid the price already and they're giving it to you freely 
because they love you. Oh, I think of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave the greatest gift of all, his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Faith is simply recognizing he did it all. It's done. And now because of that, you have perfect standing, the same wonderful standing as Jesus has with the Father. In other words, you are blessable. And God the Father is thrilled to do that. Let's pray. Father, again, we lean hard on the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. We try not to grasp all the dimensions of this with our puny little human understanding, but Lord, we rest in your ability through the Holy Spirit to bring full understanding, full illumination, full revelation of the dimensions of such a great salvation. Thank you, Lord, you've made this so simple that a little child can receive by simply believing, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. A simple thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the greatest gift of all, yourself, the giving of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for us, but him alive inside of us. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for these things in Jesus' name. And Lord, may you alone receive the glory. Amen.